It's all in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay. I love a good courtroom drama. I, I've mentioned before my dad, he was a prosecuting attorney, and so like it's, it's sort of in the family. Uh, and uh, at night, often we're going to bed, the kids will go to bed, and then my wife and I will talk for a while, and we'll turn on a show, and then she immediately falls asleep, and then I watch a little bit, and then we both go to bed. And uh, when we go to bed, if I don't fall asleep in the first five minutes, I start looking at my phone, like, why am I still awake? Like, it's already been five minutes. This is, something is not right. And we started to watch this courtroom drama about a guy who was wrongly convicted. So he had gone to prison, and then some injustice happened while he's there. And uh, what happened, and I didn't know this was happening at first, was it was making me anxious, like physically anxious. I'm not a super anxious person, but like I started to get like this like knot in my stomach from a television show, <laughs> and I couldn't sleep. And so it wasn't until like three or four episodes that I was like, oh man, I love the show, and I hate it. Like I hate it. So I stopped watching it. And I slept great, and I still sleep, I'm sleeping great. <laughs> I share that because uh, what we're going to look at today is, in essence, a courtroom drama of Christ. We're going to see the, the final time that he stands before Pilate. And if I can empathize with this TV show, how much more should I empathize with Christ? Like, it should make us, when you read this story, it's not just a story leading to the resurrection. It's an actual event that happened to a man who was wrongly convicted and put to death. A horrible death. <clears throat> so that's what we're talking about this morning, this final stand of Jesus. Uh, so what has led to this place? So Jesus is praying in the garden, and then he gets arrested, and he goes before Annas, the, the former high priest. But he's the influencer, he's the big dog, and so they bring him before him, and they have discussion, and they declare he's a blasphemer. Then they bring him to the second group of people. So this time he's before the Sanhedrin, before the chief priest, before Caiaphas. They agree, blasphemy. Okay, so blasphemy in Judaism is something that was deserving of death. So they're saying he's, he's a blasphemer, he deserves to die. He claims to be the son of God. So now they wait till morning so that it could be legal, they declare it again, and they bring him to Pilate. Now Pilate is the Roman governor over the city, and they realize uh, this isn't going to fly <laughs> with Pilate. Like, yeah, he's a blasphemer, he doesn't, he's claiming to be our, our God, he's going to be like, I'm on Jesus' side. Like, I don't care about this. I also don't agree with you. It was more than that. He was claiming to be God. So on the way there, they come up with this excuse. Verses, uh, chapter 23, verse 2, it says, They began to accuse him, saying, We found this man misleading our nation, opposing payment of taxes to Caesar, and saying that he himself is the Messiah, a king. So there's a pretty gross distortion of facts. There's an element of truth to these, but they're not actually the truth. Uh, he's not really leading a rebellion against Rome. He's not really an insurrectionist. He's not really telling people not to pay taxes to Caesar. He's not trying to replace Caesar. And so they make up these claims against him, and they bring him before Pilate. And so JC, he talked about this craziness last week. And so he, he introduced Pilate, talked a little bit about Herod, and that's the first thing. So he comes for Pilate, and they accuse him, and Pilate's like, uh, I, don't, I think he's innocent, sends him to Herod. Herod says, I liked talking to him. He's, I also think he's innocent. And then he mocks him and beats him and is terrible to him. But he did, th he did say he's innocent. And then he comes back to Pilate. So this is the progression of Jesus uh, praying through the night and then, and then these events that happen. And so now it's the early morning. It's probably somewhere around 6 a.m. is where we pick up where we're at today. And to outline the passage, we're going to look at three different groups of people. Like I said, it's, it's a, this is a, a trial of, of Jesus. And so we're going to look at the judge. Uh, we're going to look at the accusers and the gallery. They, they end up being the same person, same people. So the accusers and the gallery, and then we're going to look at the defendants. That's the outline. 
That's how you can kind of segment it in your brain. The goal is that you would see that Jesus' death was a travesty of justice, and we should thank God for his mercy. Jesus' death was a travesty of justice, and we should thank God for his mercy. So first, the judge, Pilate. Uh, you have to know the political environment that Pilate is, is entering into and, and a little bit of the background to understand how Pilate makes his decision about Jesus, like what leads him to the place that he's at. And so there's one really important fact, and it's that Pilate hated the Jews, and the Jews hated Pilate. They at least hated each other. It wasn't a one-way street. So last week, JC, he, he mentioned uh, one or two of these. Uh, why did they hate each other? What was the, what was the background to the hatred? Well, when Pilate came into power, he came in with banners with Caesar's image on it, hanging, flying them high. And uh, governors before him had not chosen to do so because the Jews viewed this image as idolatry, like they're worshiping this idol. But I think, read into a little bit, I think Pilate wanted to flex his Roman muscles, say, I'm in charge, I'm the boss. And so he would not take them down. And uh, from what I read, they, there was a group of Jews who followed Pilate around, t- demanding that he would take it down. So eventually, uh, Pilate corners them and says, uh, stop following me or I'm going to kill you. And they say, we'll happily die for this image, for, for your idolatry to end in our city. But Pilate, he knows that if he does that, it's going to be much worse for him. He can't actually, he could kill them, but it's going to be bad with the whole city. So he, he chooses to let it go. And now Pilate looks like a fool in front of all of these people. Uh, so he gives in. Then Pilate, he wants to build an aqueduct. He wants to bring better water into the city, which is a good idea, except his funding source he chooses is he wants to take money from the temple treasury. Not a good idea. And so there's an actual riot that happens. He ends up killing uh, some of the Jews, and so they, they hate him. They hate Pilate. And Tiberius Caesar, he was aware of the turmoil. And so Pilate, he was on thin ice with his, his boss. Uh, he, he's ruling the city, but actually he's... he's He's not doing well, or at least very quickly he could lose his role. And the Jews, they hated Pilate for the reasons I just mentioned, but also that he interfered with their business, that he, that he had any influence over Judaism bothered them. For instance, he had to approve a high priest. So when they'd have a new high priest, uh, Pilate would have to say, I approve or I disapprove. They hated that. So they did not like him. He did not like, um, it's both ways. So Pilate, he's already under tremendous pressure from the Roman government. And now he's under pressure from the Jews, especially this morning when the Sanhedrin brings this man. They bring Jesus in, all these people, and they want something done. What's, what is he going to do? Well, he's going to need some information to be a judge. What did Pilate know? Like, how is he going to decide how to handle it? What did he know? Well, Pilate knew that Jesus was important. He's the governor, so he has a pulse of the city. His comings and goings, he has a a general idea of, and it's also, it's the Passover. So Jerusalem is filled. There is, uh, it's multiplied significantly, the amount of people in the city. So his his city is swelled. He knows that 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 is sort of a good thing, but also potentially a very bad thing. If things go bad, they'll go very bad. The city's about to burst. And so Jesus comes into the city, and uh, they put down the palm branches. They celebrate the entrance of Christ. He's coming in. Uh, the Jews are, are, are excited. They think he's the king. They, they yell, Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest. God saves. Uh, and so he comes in the city. Pilate would have been aware of that. Uh, not just that, Jesus comes into the temple. And the temple was right next to where uh, 
where he was, the Praetorium. So there's the, the Fort Antonio where he's going to be hanging out. So Pilate's right here, the temple's right here, and Jesus going in, and crowds are gathering to listen to Jesus. And then Jesus flips over the tables in the temple. He says, you're stealing from God. And he flips over the tables. He's really upset. Uh, I think Pilate would have known about that too. So all these events are happening in this, in this city that's overflowing. And even before any of this would have happened, Jesus was no stranger. Like he didn't do his ministry in secret. And so I think Pilate would have also known, just like Herod. When he goes to Herod, Herod's like, good, I've been wanting to talk to this guy. Uh, in the same way, I think Pilate would have known who this miraculous healer was. So Pilate, he, he's informed of who Jesus is. This is no surprise. Uh, well, maybe him coming to, to Pilate was a surprise, but, but seeing Jesus was not a surprise. Second, Pilate knew that the charges were a farce. Jesus, he's faced two kangaroo courts, meaning like pretend courts before the religious leaders. So before Annas and then before Caiaphas. And these happened in the middle of the night to keep them secret. So they were also, the Jews were also afraid the city would explode, but against them. So they did it in secret and they waited till just the start of daybreak that the trial would be legal. And then they, they held their, their little mini trial to then bring him to Pilate. But remember, they accused him of blasphemy, not something that Rome would recognize. So Pilate knows these charges are a joke. And so he says that to him repeatedly in this passage. Verse 14, it said, Pilate says, But in fact, after examining him in your presence, so after I interviewed him in your presence, you saw this, I have found no grounds to charge this man of the things you accused him of. Neither has Herod, because he sent him back to us. Clearly, he's done nothing to deserve death. And then again, verse 22, A third time he said to them, Why? What has this man done wrong? I found no grounds for the death penalty. He said, there's no real evidence that this is a, a good thing. This is the right thing, that Jesus is an insurrectionist. And I think that Pilate had a healthy respect for Jesus, that, like, that he actually viewed him relatively highly. You see this interaction that he has with this supposed insurrectionist and hater of Caesar. This is in John 19. And we're gonna go, we'll go around the Gospels a little bit because uh, all these stories, they fit together. I actually really enjoyed... Uh, preparing for this, because I got to read all these gospel accounts of what happened on Jesus' Day, and it was so cool how some had certain elements and others, but it all, the whole picture was painted very clearly as you go through all the gospels. So this is John 19, and this is Jesus and Pilate talking. It says, then Pilate went back into headquarters, summoned Jesus, and said to him, are you king of the Jews? Jesus answered, are you asking this on your own, or have others told you about me? I'm not a Jew, am I? Pilate replied, your own nation and the chief priests handed you over to me. What have you done? My kingdom is not of this world, Jesus said. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would fight so that I wouldn't be handed over to the Jews. But as it is, my kingdom is not from here. You are a king then, Pilate asked. You say that I'm a king, Jesus replied. I was born for this and I've come into the world for this, to testify to the truth. Everyone who's of the truth listens to my voice. What is truth? Pilate said. And I think there's a healthy respect. He clearly disagrees. But he's also, in this interview, you see is that Jesus, the claim that Jesus is going to be the king is laughable. Like Pilate, Pilate could just see it and say, no, this, this little guy, he's unimpressive. He doesn't have an army. They don't have swords. He's not going to take over my city. That's not what he's here to do. He's not going to take over my king, He's not going to take over Caesar. He has no money. He has no army. 
Jesus himself says, my kingdom, like I could be trying to fight you, but I'm not, because that's not my goal. It's not who I am. And so Pilate says, these charges are a joke. This has nothing to do with me. This has everything to do with the Jews. Pilate also knew that his wife wanted him to release Jesus. His wife, I'm sure, had influence. Otherwise, she wouldn't have come to him and said this. So she is having, uh, in Matthew, I think it's Matthew 26, she has uh, dreams, visions about Jesus and says, don't mess with this guy. It will not go well for you. So he's getting information from his wife, who doesn't even know Jesus, probably knows about him, does not know him, says you should release him. Fourth, Pilate, he knew that the religious leaders, they were the ones who wanted him killed. Uh, John 19, 6 we see is that the only reason he's there is that uh, they, they didn't have the power to kill. So even though Jewish law said that he could be killed for blasphemy, if he's a blasphemer, uh, Roman law said, you're in our city, you can't do that. So they had to go to the people who could kill him. So 19.6, so the chief priests and temple servants saw him. They shouted, crucify, crucify. Pilate responded, take him and crucify him yourselves, since I find no grounds for charging him. We have a law, the Jews replied, and according to that law, he ought to die because he made himself the son of God. When Pilate heard the statement, he was more afraid than ever. Oh, man, I'm messing with their religion. I'm in a pickle. I don't have a reason to kill him, and this is getting out of hand. And he's afraid. Like, if he doesn't kill Jesus, these people might riot. And then I lose my job, my position. Maybe I lose my life. But if I do kill him, I'm killing an innocent man. What should I do? We're going to come back to that. What should he do? What does he do? We're going to look at the accusers. So before the judge, we have these accusers. And, and so this is the chief priests, this is the leaders, and then this is the people. So the whole Sanhedrin comes. It's like 70 people plus others. So there's at least 100 people, I would say. And all this started in Mark 14. So as soon as Jesus is arrested, they have to say, we have some charges against him. So what do they do? Uh, in Mark 14, they, they try to get witnesses so that they have a better case when they go before Pilate. But he says, all the witnesses, they contradicted each other. So they couldn't find people to, to actually rightly accuse Jesus until finally one of them wisened up. And they're like, hey, Jesus, they talked to him. They, they asked him, are you the Messiah? Are you the blessed one? And Jesus said, I am. I am. And then he says, see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming in the clouds of heaven. He says, I'm that guy. I'm him. I'm the Messiah. And this is the Jews' ticket because either Jesus is the Messiah and it's not blasphemy or he's not the Messiah and they're right. So they say he is the blasphemer. But when they go to Pilate, Pilate's like, I don't care about that. It says, clearly he's done nothing deserving of death. It's clear to Pilate. So that brings us an important question to mind. Could the Jews have known that Jesus was the Son of God? Or should they have known that Jesus was the Son of God? Maybe here today you have questions. Is Jesus really the Son of God? Can we know it today that Jesus is the Son of God? I think the answer is yes. They should have known, they could have known, and we can know today. There are, there are evidences. There are reasons to think that. Uh, what are they? Well, one, they could have listened to his words. Jesus, he's going around preaching in public. So he's, he's, out, he's out and about in the city, and he's, he's, he's openly proclaiming who he is. It's not, it's not hidden, but they couldn't hear him. 
because they had already decided he's not God. And so they, when they started this position, they're already closed off to the possibility that he's God. So no matter what he teaches, it's not going to matter. So like John 10, uh, Jesus is teaching. He says, I am, the, I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father, I lay down my life for the sheep. So he claims to know God the Father personally because it's his Father. You say, okay, that's a little bit abstract. Like, could you be a little more direct? Same, same chapter, a few days later. Uh, this is what Jesus teaches. It says, The festival of dedication took place in Jerusalem, and it was winter. Jesus was walking in the temple of Solomon's colonnade. The Jews surrounded him and asked, How long are you going to keep us in suspense? If you were the Messiah, tell us plainly. I did tell you, and you didn't believe, Jesus answered them. The words that I do in my Father's name testify about me. But you don't believe because you are not of my sheep. Jesus, he wanted everyone to know, I am the Son of God. But they weren't open to hear it. They had already decided they didn't want to listen. And so he gives us the second evidence. He says, he says I am the Messiah. How could you know? Look at the things that I'm doing. That's what he tells them. The works that I do in my Father's name testify about me. Second evidence, they could have researched his works and his miracles. They're there. They're there at the time that Jesus is actually healing people, actually rising people from the dead. So he raises people from the dead. He helps the blind see, the paralyzed walk. He walks on water. He, he multiplies uh, bread and fish. Amazing things. There's a story uh, about a, a paralyzed man uh, who tries to get into a house, but he can't get in. And the reason he can't get in is it's filled with religious people. Who's listening to Jesus? I think it's a lot of the same people who are here. And if it's not, it's at least friends of the people who are here accusing Jesus. So what they have to do is they go up on the roof, they rip off the roof, and his friends drop the paralyzed man down into the room. So he's there, and, and Jesus sees him, and he says, he says your sins are forgiven. Uh, it's a pr- pretty awesome moment. But the religious people are like, he can't do that. Only God can do that. Blasphemy. Jesus, he reads their minds, and he says, listen, What's harder to do? Tell, teach, have, have someone walk or to forgive sins? And then he says, get up and walk. He proves it. He says, listen, I, I can do both. And the man gets up and he is healed. They could have just talked to their friends and investigated, is Jesus doing the things he says he can do? Or they even may have seen it themselves. They should have and could have known. Now, one thing that's tricky is at this time, they didn't have the resurrection. So like, we look back and we, we can say, look at Jesus rose from the dead. They didn't have that, but they had other things to look at. That matters for us because a wonderful apologetic is to look at, did Jesus raise from the dead? It's the strongest, most convincing thing for me personally to say, uh, it's kind of, I think, what got me over the hump to say, is this true? Is Christianity true? Is it worth my life? And I go back to the disciples, like that we have significant evidence the disciples went to the end of their lives proclaiming Jesus has risen from the dead. And they didn't denounce this. In their dying painful deaths, they could just say, forget it, I was lying, I made it up, I want to live. But they didn't. Because he did raise from the dead. And so we can look at the resurrection, we look at the empty tomb. Uh, we could look, I mean, there's, there's ample evidence that we can still look at today to say, is Jesus the son of God? Did he rise from the dead? So they had evidence then, and we have evidence now. What other evidence is there? Well, they could have compared his life to the scriptures. 
They could have looked at Jesus and said, does he fulfill all the prophecies we have about the Messiah? And they had some misconceptions and some things that would have been hard to understand, especially before the resurrection, before the crucifixion and the resurrection. But there were other things, like where Jesus was born, prophesied. What line he'd be born to. He'd be born in the line of David, prophesied. Uh, that he would live in Egypt, prophesied. Or that John the Baptist would come and proclaim that Jesus is coming. And not only that, but the one that had John the Baptist, his dad, Zechariah, had went into the temple, into the Holy of Holies, and then he had this experience where they told him what was going to happen. He had, a little, he had a little faith moment where he wasn't, he was like, really? And they're like, okay, now you can't speak. So, so he couldn't speak, but they knew, all the priests knew something amazing would happen. And that amazing thing was John the Baptist, who then proclaimed Jesus was coming. All this happened, so it's in the scriptures. Like this is, they already knew that there would be somebody proclaiming the way of the Messiah. So they could have known, but they didn't. Because they had this presupposition it can't be true. And this is important for us because when we make decisions based on bad foundations, if you, if you believe something is true already and this is your foundation, and you build on it, Everything that gets built on it will crumble. It will fall apart. And so they started in the wrong spot. Jesus is not God, and they couldn't get past that. Like, so everything they decided and thought about considering after that was wrong. And so how can they, you think, like, how can they get to the point where they want to kill Jesus? He's innocent because they started with Jesus, not the Son of God. And then everything they did was shaped by that. And they use this tactic with, with Pilate. Pilate says, I think he's innocent. And then as he's trying to announce what he wants to do, they, they just like interrupt him. They're like, crucify him, crucify him. And there's a good lesson for us in this. As people, when, when there's two people who disagree on something, uh, when someone is insecure about their position, when they're afraid of their position or they think maybe they're not right, often, instead of diminishing, like kind of going in the shadows, they increase their position or they try to get louder and more aggressive, or they try to shame. And the goal is to silence the other argument. So like, instead of really engaging, they just say, I'm, he's like, man, I'm sure this Jesus. Like, crucify him, stop. We don't want to talk about it. We just want him dead. And there could be a harshness and shame when someone might be wrong because it's safer to not engage in the discussion. And this is important for us for a couple of reasons. One is that uh, we shouldn't be afraid of having hard conversations and someone disagrees with us, even if it makes you uncomfortable or them uncomfortable. The second thing is that you should not be afraid if you're a Christian because Jesus says, I am the truth. He tells Pilate, I came to testify to the truth. And what that means is that as you have a discussion with someone, that you're on the side of truth. So you don't need to be afraid like, what if they outsmart me? Or what if, what if they know these things that I don't know? And what if, what if, it's like, well, it's okay. Engage with people. You may not know the answer in the moment, but there's probably a good answer. And so you can find it in scripture, you can find it in books, you can find it from other Christians. And some things, we'll probably get to heaven and we'll learn them there. Like there might be a time when it's like, I'd actually, I'll never know the answer to that question. But we don't have to be afraid if Jesus really is the truth. And so be willing to engage people and to not try to shut down arguments or discussions before they get going. Like they did with Pilate, or tried to with Pilate. And so those of you who are listening and, and you don't think Jesus is the Son of God, you're here and you're like, I don't know, I'm still kind of on the fence. Uh, my question would be, why? Uh, what is keeping you from believing? And there are reasons. Like the Jews, uh, they were kept from believing because they had this religious system. And Jesus didn't fit into what they had designed. They couldn't see past their life and past their traditions. Um, Pilate, 
He did almost everything he could for Jesus other than saying Jesus is the Son of God. Uh, he did not believe. He didn't, want, he didn't want to lose his spot as the governor. That was more important to him. Judas, he couldn't see past the piles of money. Some people, they don't, they don't want to believe that Jesus is who he says he is because they don't want to have to forgive. If God forgave, then I should forgive. I can't do that. Uh, I, can't, I can't follow this. Some people look around and say, look how evil the world is. How could God create a world as evil as this and not change it? And there's good answers to that question. I'm not going to get to it today. I don't have time for all of those answers. But my point is, is when you have questions, my hope is if you, you are not um, trusting in Christ right now, that you would follow the answer. You would look into it, investigate. Uh, was Jesus innocent or was he guilty? And in all of this, what I hope that you're seeing is he was 100% innocent from the Roman perspective. And if he's the son of God, he's also innocent from the Jewish perspective. And we're going to see, we obviously we know he's the son of God. We see him rise again. He's innocent. In all ways, Jesus is innocent. So let's say, what did Pilate do? Pilate, who's politically in a tough spot, what does Pilate do? How does he handle the situation? So we're going to go back to the judge now, looking at the judge. What does he do? Well, one, he declares Jesus innocent. We already talked about that. So he sends him to Herod. Herod declares him innocent. He sends him back. And then, because he thinks he's innocent, he says, ah, I, have, I have a solution. Being a politician, he thinks, I will punish him uh, in, in a way that they'll have to let him go free. So I'll just say, uh, and this was okay, this is a common practice, where if somebody was heading in a bad direction, they could punish them, not like 40 lashes minus one, but like they'd like beat him or uh, beat the person and say, don't go this way, this is a warning to you. So he says, I'll, I'll do that with Jesus. I'll, I'll send a warning, shout across the bow, and then they'll be okay. Like I'll be able to set him free. But this is the, the Jews' response. They all cried out, he says, oh, let me just beat him and let, let's set him free. Then they all cried out together, take this man away. Release Barabbas to us. He'd been thrown into prison for rebellion that had taken place in the city and for murder. So he tries to get him released with punishment. It didn't work, but it is the Passover. So then he tries to get Jesus released on a, on a tradition that they had at Passover. And that was that at Passover, uh, they would release one person as like a gesture of goodwill to the people. So they would just say, hey, this person can go free. And so, uh, you know, Jesus, when he gets crucified, he, he's with thieves are next to him. He's with some people who, who are also convicted. So I think he chooses probably the most wicked and says, they can't let Barabbas go free. So he's like, uh, should we let, release Barabbas or Jesus? And the people are like, Jesus. No, Jesus should be killed. Release Barabbas. Release Barabbas. And they threaten, they threaten Pilate. It's kind of veiled, but if you look in John uh, chapter 19, this is what they say to Pilate. They say, from that moment, Pilate kept trying to release him, but the Jews shouted, if you release this man, you are not Caesar's friend. Anyone who makes himself a king opposes Caesar, saying, if you elevate yourself too highly, we're going to tell Caesar you want to take his spot. We're going to tell him all of these things are your fault. And so now, what does he do? And these people, these aren't schmoes. Like he, people are yelling, crucify him. It's, it seems like just like these are idiots. Like who, who, who's out there doing this? But they're not homeless people. They're not intoxicated. They're not, these are probably intelligent. These are religious leaders, uh, devote people, devoted people. 
and they're yelling at Pilate. Imagine, 100, imagine all of you right here yelling at me, crucify him, you, you fool. You think you're better than Caesar? Kill him, kill him, kill him. It would have been a scary thing for Pilate. So what does he do? He bows to the masses. Pilate bows. Verse 23, they kept up the pressure, demanding with loud voice that he be crucified, and their voices won out. So Pilate decided to grant their demand. He released the ones they were asking for who had been thrown in prison for rebellion and murder. He handed over Jesus to do their will, or over to their will. Pilate gave in. And I think the, the conclusion that Pilate gave to, he already has alluded to in his conversation with Jesus. He says, I don't care what's true. I care what's beneficial. So he's had this discussion with Jesus, and he says, what is truth? And so here, Pilate, he defines his own truth. He says, he says I'm going to kill Jesus, even though I know him to be innocent. He doesn't say that in like one sentence, but he's already declared him innocent three times, and he says, okay. And he washes his hands, and the people say, hail Caesar, his blood can be on our hands, in the hands of our children. But Pilate went along with it. So let's consider, and all of us have been talking about these two different parties, but not actually the one being impacted. So let's look at the defendants, Jesus uh, and Barabbas. Now, Barabbas has already been convicted guilty, so he's not really a defendant anymore, but he, he, he's going to get talked about here. So you have Jesus and Barabbas. Can you imagine what Jesus would have felt going through these mini-trials? You know, what we're talking about is pretty heavy because it, it is a heavy event. There's a soberness that we should all feel as we consider this night. Uh, Jesus has loved people perfectly. He's being rejected. He's innocent of, of anything they're accusing him of other than being the son of God. He actually is that. And he's being rejected. So he's rejected by his people. He goes before. Everyone's yelling. He hears them yelling. Have you ever been rejected? I have, and it's painful. And in the moment of rejection, the way that I feel is I'm going to get you back. <laughs> I'm going to make you pay. Like, you, how dare you? Here's the thing about when I've been rejected. I probably deserved it. <laughs> you know, like I'm not, I've not loved perfectly. In fact, I've not just not loved. I've actually done evil and I've hurt people. And so when I'm rejected, it's like even though I'm, I'm mad, but it makes sense. Jesus isn't mad, and so he demonstrates his love partially in his silence, and then he's going to demonstrate his love at the cross. He loves anyway. And there's another man there who, who was accused, and this is Barabbas. Uh, and he is jailed for the very thing that Jesus is accused of. Isn't that incredible? So like, Jesus, you're an insurrectionist. You're, you're, and then the actual guy who's trying to overthrow the government who has murdered is now the one that's going to be set free. And Barabbas, his name, his Hebrew, in Hebrew, his name means son of the father. Isn't that wild? So the true son of the father is guilty. And the not son of the, the ultimate father, is set free. Jesus, God, he's giving us this gift with Barabbas to help us to understand what happens at the cross. We get it a little bit more. There's this amazing exchange that happens. This is what the cross is all about. Barabbas, the son of the father, is set free. And the true son of the father is declared guilty. He takes Barabbas's punishment. F.W. Krumacher, he, he explained the exchange like this. 
He says, Barabbas does not stand before us merely as an individual. He represents at the same time the human race in its present condition as fallen from God in a state of rebellion against divine majesty, bound in the fetters and the curse of the law to the day of judgment. He says, Barabbas is all of us. When we think about Barabbas, we should, we should see ourselves. And, and I want to think of myself more like Jesus. But in reality, I should see myself more like Barabbas, sinful, selfish, proud, broken God's law, deserving of death. We're like Barabbas, sitting and waiting on death row. We're just waiting to die and face eternal punishment if we're apart from Christ. And all people are at least starting in that point. This is the fate. But then Jesus comes on the scene, and we have this amazing exchange. So Krumacher, he continues. He says, Barabbas and Jesus change places. The murderer's bonds, curse, disgrace, and mortal agony are transferred to righteous Jesus, while the liberty, innocence, safety, and well-being of the immaculate Nazarene become the lot of the murderers. Barabbas is instilled in all the rights and privileges of Jesus Christ, while the latter enters upon all infamy and horror in the rebel's position. Both mutually inherit each other's situation and what they possess. The delinquent's guilt and cross become the lot of the just one, and all the civil rights and immunities of the latter are the property of the delinquent. A few weird words there, but the point is, they they take places. And all of the rights that should have gone to Jesus go to Barabbas. And all the punishment that Barabbas deserves, they go to Jesus. It's a perfect demonstration of the gospel, of what Jesus came to do. And this is what Jesus offers us today, a full pardon, a total set free, a removal from death row. He's hung on the the cross for the punishment that you deserve and that I deserve. When you should have been killed, Jesus was instead. And so it seems a little bit like out there, you know, like, yes, I've sinned, but I'm not, like, literally on death row. So put yourself Barabbas' spot. He's waiting to die. And it's not even the, not even the quickness of, like, um, being shot. He's about to go through the most painful, excruciating death one could imagine, the crucifixion, where eventually you can't hold yourself up anymore and you suffocate to death as you hang on the cross. This is what he's waiting for. And then Jesus offers this gift, his life. It's amazing. And so we are like Barabbas, but Jesus, he's offering us this exchange. This is the good news. He wants to save you. And I told you that I'm kind of conflicted about this. And the reason is this, is that the gross injustice that happens to Jesus is horrible. He's totally innocent. He doesn't deserve any of it. But the conflict comes, the tension comes, in that if Jesus doesn't die on the cross, I'm still on death row. You're still on death row. We actually need this thing to happen for us to have any hope. We need the cross. And so it's horrific, it's terrible, but also it's our only hope. Philip Bracken, he talks about this. He says, this is the one place in Scripture where you see the will of Satan, the goal of Satan, and the goal of of God the Father align together. Both of them wanted to see Jesus die on the cross. Satan said he would die in shame and humiliation. He'd put an end to this talk of God. But God has a better and different plan. Through God, God says, this is the only way that my people can be redeemed. It's through Jesus at the cross. And so they both want Jesus to die. And so what we have to decide is, what will we do with it? Do we think that Jesus died because he, he 
um, was just this revolutionary talking about God, or we actually understand that Jesus died to take our place, that it was God's plan that man lived out, and it was a great act of love. And if you believe it's an act of love, then you want to put your faith completely and wholly in Christ, that you'd be saved, that you'd enter a relationship with God, you'd be with him forever, and come off death row. He is the replacement for your sin. So as we close, what do we do with this info? Really quick, what do we do with this? Well, one, I would say thank God for his mercy. Thank God. Uh, you can do that in prayer. Uh, you can do just, just every, every breath you take. Like I was walking in this morning, the birds were chirping, and there's this cold, fresh air, and I was just like, oh, this feels so good. God is so good to me. He's so good. At every moment of every day, we can remember how good God is to us. It could be in our circumstances, but ultimately, it's what he does for us following this trial. So first, thank God for his mercy. Second, if you've never considered Jesus' claims, ask yourself, is Jesus really God? So engage with this question. Like you're here, so obviously there's some curiosity. Go deeper. Is he God? And if you're here and you're a Christian, you've already said, yes, I think he is God. I think that did happen. I have my faith in Christ. Then my next challenge would be for you to ask one person between now and Easter uh, what they think happened at the cross. Who is Jesus and what happened at the cross? Like why did Jesus do those things? Uh, it could be a Christian. I, I don't care. I think it's good for Christians to remember what Jesus did at the cross. It's good for us to talk to people, fellow believers. Or it could be somebody who, who you think is antagonistic or just doesn't even know. You have no idea where they're at. Uh, ask the question. Start a conversation. Uh, take that little step of faith. And then as you do that, I think your faith in Christ will be strengthened as well. Uh, let's pray. Uh, Heavenly Father, we thank you again for Jesus' love, his demonstration of that love, for the hope that we have because of his follow-through. That he submitted to your will by going to the cross, that he could have called down a legion of angels. He could have defended himself. He could have humiliated the people who were accusing him. But instead, he lived his life as a demonstration for us, but also as the perfect sacrifice that one day he could die in our place. I pray that we would live in the freedom offered at the cross that it would not be a foreign thing. We wouldn't live in guilt. We wouldn't live in anxiety. We wouldn't live uh, in anger. But we would live set free by what you've done. Praise all in Jesus' name. Amen.